Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff and Rory podcast. On this podcast, I aim to inspire change by speaking to people that I relate to and we'll be discussing a range of subjects and topics including trauma, adversity, healing and mental health and well-being. I cherish my inner being and I'm on a journey to stay grounded, living in the present, reflecting on the past and looking forward to the future. Les is the founder for a non-for-profit suicide prevention called Changing the Game UK. They are fully reliant on donations as they don't receive any government funding. Les served his time as a mechanical engineer specializing in maintenance, reliability and project management. Recently diagnosed with complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. He talks candidly about his journey, what he's experienced, his battles with depression, suicidal thoughts, alcohol and addiction. Sobriety. Vulnerability. Communication, compassion, empathy, embrace difference, not having enough, consumerism, PTSD, alcoholism, suicide, external happiness, family, support, mental health issues, compassion, changing the game UK, kindness, giving, acceptance, recovery pirates, Pausing and helping, supporting others, building sustainable future, letting go, human nature, mend broken factions, suicide prevention campaign, graffiti art and mural. Today is my first episode in studio, in person. Um, we have the pleasure of the first uh, in studio uh, appearance with uh, a guest from across our shores. Uh, Leslie, welcome to the show. Cheers, mate. How are you? Fantastic, actually. Can't you complain? Up early this morning. Um, nice uh, three hour start to my day already. Um, flying it, actually. I think, uh, could the same be said for yourself? Oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the world this early when I haven't been taking the children to school. It's uh, I've had me I've, I've had me cup of coffee. I'm open. I'm raring to go. I'm ready to ready to have a conversation with you. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm so grateful because um, oh my god, I just have to randomly stop on this the difference in the quality and the sound is so good. I am so glad I came to Dublin. Um. So the essence of just to give you a quick uh, snapshot on that, Leslie, I've done uh, so far, this will be, I think, 11 uh, of mm-hmm. the episodes. 
and uh, all of the ones that I've done so far have all been remote. So this is the first time I've actually come up and actually done it in person, right. uh, which has been fantastic. And uh, as we said recently, uh, th thanks to all the listeners so far, which we just hit the milestone of over 2000 streams. So uh, things are flying it. And uh, I think back in the height of uh, the activity during a lot of the early days of recording, um, we had um, a very fortunate connection uh, in the sense that uh, over the summer I decided to um, part ways with uh, alcohol and mm -hmm. uh, through that journey we've been very fortunate to connect obviously through social media and all these other avenues it's been fantastic but um, what way would we introduce that maybe yeah like will I leave it with the situation on your sobriety to go into that or what way do you want to pick it up well it was through social media wasn't it we we had, I don't even believe it was mutual friends. I think it was second connections and each of us had commented on your post and I'd seen it. And yeah. just uh, we just reached out just to say well done, didn't we? Uh, yeah, uh, no, in fairness. Yeah, actually, sorry, you're right. Uh, I had just uh, put maybe There was no, like, there was, there was no introduction or nothing. It was just a chance. Yeah, yeah, it was, I, like I think, in fairness. The street, wasn't it? 100%. And it's like anything, when you have a conversation with a stranger, I think, you know, vulnerability and uh, everything can just be one of those things you can just open up and have the crack uh, oh. and really, you know, connect obviously on, you know, the points of note. But uh, I think one of the vibrant things that I've been carrying in the last few weeks is just that uh, audacity really to try and see the light outside of life. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you said, like so, so loudly in the sense that uh, I had make, made a decision, which to me at the time didn't feel as big, um, mm -hmm. but I suppose in the cultural, you know, nature of uh, Ireland or the UK or the world in the sense that we like are revolved around alcohol and even in that nature we're actually uh, three floors up from a bar here that we are here at this morning literally speaking so different times but um, I am so fortunate that I have five and a half months of sobriety behind me I know I still really enjoy the crack I love being around uh, the essence of people connecting and all the rest of it but I know my own tolerance and everything that mm -hmm. comes beyond that after the night and all the fun is just devastation um oh, especially so. when you hit blackout if you've drank that much and you can't remember the next day and you know even when you're just when you open your eyes you know you've done something that you shouldn't have done or you've said something you shouldn't have said and it was it was madness it was madness when you look at the way you function when you hurting and when you're vulnerable it's i think that's where it comes down to you know you you just touched on it earlier you've got to accept your own vulnerabilities because if you don't if you're just dismissive of the fact you can never address it and that was always my issue oh for fuck's sake sorry mate one second oh. you're okay um just to uh cue the music one there second. um Oh, Rob, I'm just doing an interview. I'll bring you back five minutes. Cheers, mate. Sorry, mate. I'll put that on silent. I thought you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually listening to. I was only telling the story to Shane here this morning. I loved the uh, intro, even. And this is just a side note for a second that uh, if you think of podcasting, and Shane would have much more experience in this uh, in the world and the space as well. Like he has a couple of episodes running here today, and. Um, 
the essence that like the podcast that I was listening to on the way up is by a friend of mine and two others, uh, two other friends of his rather. And they were talking about like the lead into a conversation, right? And how things get going. You know, the way like on a, on a night out, yeah. you, might, you might have the first pint and then it, like all of a sudden it builds up. You have the, you know, you have the second one, you have the third one. And it really mm-hmm. starts to get going and like anything, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the after uh, aftermath, but like what I was even thinking and feeling here, like it's like there when you're trying to sit down and do anything. I'm sure between it's your phone or whether it's your kids, which I'm sure we'll come to at some point, it's like there's always something, you know, something yeah. always oh. comes. And it, like in, in any essence, the distraction that we would have always gone back to would have been to try and escape through booze. And mm-hmm. I think that that for me was always something that was constant. Like since I turned, you know, mid-teens, booze was always present. For me, it wasn't even, it wasn't even, distraction would be the wrong word. It was anything was an excuse to have a drink, if that made sense. Because I felt relaxed when I had a drink. I felt confident when I had a drink. I had no qualms or no undercurrents of doubt when I'd had a drink. It was, well, that's what it does, isn't it? It relaxes you. It inhibits you. It makes you feel more comfortable, more confident. Um, And it's a false sense of security because, you, like I say, it the alcohol just becomes a comfort blanket for the for the environment you find yourself in, and it's no different to to a, a drug dependency or um, you know these people who are addicted to going to the gym. It's a structure and it's a routine, whether it's healthy or otherwise, that helps you survive a situation. And yes, you have your social drinkers. And you have your guys and your girls who like to go out and party, but I see that as significantly different to alcoholism, because alcoholism is more, in my opinion, and I'm not a medical expert, but it's more around self-medication as opposed to um, letting your hair down, meeting someone, having a dance, and and going home with those memories. For me, it was never a precursor to going out into the entertainment world, it was always a, I need to take the edge off this environment that I'm in. And that's that's how the, the alcohol started for me. And then, like I say, you posted, you posted on LinkedIn about your sobriety. Um, and we connected, didn't we? And then I, I just says, look, eh, the world is it's built on people who grind out in the rat race, they the work themselves to the bone. You know, in essence, people make very little money who work for big organisations. All the money goes into the shareholders' pockets and places like that. So why work yourself into the ground and then drink yourself to sleep to be able to go back and work yourself into the ground because you, you're so tired of it when you can actually say, you know what, I'm not going to drink anymore, but I'm also going to take myself out of this toxic environment where I'm not valued. And that's where the alcoholism crosses over into the mental health world because, again, a lot of people will they'll criminalise drug use and they'll have a, a, a opinion of alcoholics being people who are homeless on the street drinking out of brown bags, but that's not how it works at all. Most alcoholics are fully functioning alcoholics. Yes, you have your outliers at the the top and bottom ends of the scale, but 99% of the people are just the same as you and me. 
And in fact, 99% of the people don't even realize they have an alcohol dependency because for them, it's routine. Oh, it's just a bottle of, like, just a bottle of vodka on a weekend or just a bottle of wine on a Tuesday night. If life was that sweet and nice and happy, we wouldn't need to smoke. We wouldn't need to drink alcohol. We wouldn't need to binge. We wouldn't need to be violent. We wouldn't need to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds going to the gyms on massive things. And all these companies wouldn't be spending all this money on mental health, well-being and culture because it's basics. You just be nice to each other. You show each other that they're loved, that they care and that everything will always be all right regardless of the situation. And if you can do that, and you can allow people to feel vulnerable while having the safety blanket of love and compassion as opposed to alcoholics and narcotics, it would address most of the issues that are born out of the workplace because we spend nine, well, again, five out of seven days of our time at work. You spend more time there than you do with your family. So snide, backstabbing, passive comments, not being valued is going to have a bigger impact and a bigger um, it's going to influence the decision on your final move a lot more than if you were in an environment surrounded by people who love and care for you. Hundred percent, and like it's so um, refreshing to hear that type of approach. Like even walking up through the city there this morning, like nearly the essence of um, what I would only describe as like being sober in the morning through a city center is a different experience. And maybe like, you know, back in the days when you would have been, say, you know, late home or early mornings, you would have been, you know, going back and you're obviously in a different planet where you're not even paying attention to it. Sometimes you would have even sobered up, to be honest, nearly at the end of the day. But what I'm trying to point here is like, you're talking about all those addictions and addiction is such a massive point that I like even came across, um, uh, three words that my own sponsor brought in recently, uh, which was to do with irritable discontent. And um, I can't even remember the third. It never comes to me. But anyway, in the general sense, it's always to do that um, with addiction. It's present everywhere. What I was trying to say this morning and the thing that I saw coming up here was just literally for what bar wasn't open, there was a coffee shop. Like mm. in the sense that everybody was walking around holding something in their hand. And it's the same type of thing. I even find it, I don't know how you found it since you've sobered up, but not sobered up, but it's in sobriety rather that uh, I even find I could be sitting at work at home, just working remotely. And I, I'm, I, I'm the same, like I'm a devil for working too much. And uh, I would ha- I'd have a pint glass of water in my hand. And mm-hmm. it's like, but your mind can't differentiate, like whether it was even non-alcoholic or whether it was like even alcoholic. Your mind mm-hmm. does not know the difference. The minute the addiction is embedded, it's already too late. Um, well, they say it, and again, I'm not a psychologist. I've, I've worked with a lot of psychologists and therapists, but I, I'm not by no means proclaimed to be a medical professional. But the whole routine of taking a cigarette and putting it to your mouth and putting it down, that repetitive motion is, is they've said it's related to the same of picking something up and having a drink. So you're chain smoking, you're drinking, you're binge eating. You look at people in the telephones. Telephones are just as addictive now as narcotics and other substances. You look at gambling and it's it all boils down to the same thing. It's an escape. It's a window to a different world where you don't have to be the person who you really are. Mm. And that 
it's breaking that cycle because we need people to be who they really are because everyone is influenced and driven by TV, by the news, by media, by what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to look like. And that's where innovation dies. You know, when I used to work for Shell, what, one of the big things, a guy who I used to work with that had a lot of time for, for Clyde, he would have teams of different gender, different races, different professions, different disciplines, because the the varied opinion and the varied benchmark is what you have for your soundboard. The wider that is, the more options you have, the more routes you have to go down to solve a problem. Um, and I think that's been the light bulb moment for me, honestly, is realizing that being different and being vulnerable and being able to say, do you know what? I am having a really bad day today. Those are the things that allow you to grow and allow you to learn and mean you don't get stuck in the same trap. Like commercialism, oh, you know, yeah, you might be feeling down or oh, you might think you're fat and ugly. Buy this cream to clear the spots off your face and everyone will love you. Well, fucking hell, everybody gets spots. Doesn't matter. You know, it's people are told and expected to look and feel and behave a certain way. And if you follow evolution back to where we were, we're still primitive animals in the grand scheme of things. Look at how long we humans have been on this planet. So why you would never expect cats, dogs, lions, and ostriches to behave the same. So why expect it from humans? Embrace difference. Let Allow people to express themselves. And again, that's something else I feel would reduce the risks of mental health and becoming dependent on uh, addictions and coping mechanisms. You know, and, and again, when we say addictions and coping mechanisms, we don't mean alcohol or drugs. It could be going to the gym, it could be eating, it could be spending, it could be gambling. You know, it's there's so many things out there that people use to try and take the edge off things. Um, and it's all in... It's all in moderation, but the world we live in, it forces people to overindulge, and then you just get trapped. I like to look at it like a payday loan. You know, you've got no money, so you go and get a payday loan. And then it comes around to pay for it, you pay your loan back, but you're still short on your money. That's the way I view mental health and emotion when it comes to um, coping mechanisms. So, yet you feel really down, you feel really flat, you either have a glass of vodka or have a line of sniff or... You go and you, you have a one-night stand or you do something to take the edge off. When you come back round, you're still in the same place with that added guilt as opposed to breaking the cycle like you've done. You know, that's off down on a rabbit hole there somewhere, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things I've learned through sobriety and the causes of, of it that I would hope, like this is why I'm having this conversation, is that that one person can pick up on what we're saying and go actually... Aye, it makes sense because you're never going to change the world, but you can change the world for one person. And that's the difference. Like, and like when you said it earlier in the sense of um, putting it in that simple way, like I was just sitting there thinking for a few minutes, listening to your uh, very interesting points, because uh, the one question that sat with me uh, that actually spun up from what you said is um, who are you? who we really are rather in the mm -hmm. sense of like who we really are and it's like 
I nearly at the time when you said it, I was thinking, right, will I ask the question? And I sat with it and I was like, right, let, let, let's ask myself first, who is Rory? Who is Riff Raff? In, mm-hmm. in, in the essence of this podcast, just to give you the background and the context of it, maybe for those of you who don't know or for even yourself, Leslie, um, Riff Raff is my nickname and that's to do with my inner chatter. So in that sense of the inner critic, you could have it on the train this morning on the way out to the platform, I felt negative. It's like anything, people don't feel great. You just have to find yourself in the moment and try and get out of it. As likewise, we have great confidence and we have massive energies when we feel positive. But it's like navigating in those midst of chapters. So like when I I really looked at myself and it's been, like anyone would say, you know, self-exploratory and everyone says, oh, it's really interesting. I find the one thing that I've learned is not to be self-centered. The minute I come into myself and I become self-centered, I'm in my head, I'm overthinking things and it's just going like Rory's losing everything that I know him to be and that I want to be. Um, mm-hmm. So like maybe this is a really nice segue maybe to let your story take the light here in the sense of where where do you think your own uh, addiction started or where do you think alcohol took real devastation like where 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 do you think that story uh, took off it's taken me a long long time to realize i put my finger on where it went wrong um and it was a long long time ago um i was six or seven or eight i can't remember exactly when it was can't remember for the life is what it was. Can't remember the day. I'll have to start that bit again. So I, I remember um, my story. Where did it start? It was. I was. I was. Probably, I was a quiet, quiet child, relatively spoiled. I believe my dad worked away. Um, and in two. 2000 maybe he had a bad accident he was burnt top to bottom from his neck to his upper thigh um significantly burned with massive 10 12 hour skin grafts and i went from being spoiled to going to you know and having the best of everything to going to school in secondhand clothes and never getting we never got nothing at christmas um, and going through school, I was relatively quiet. I had my little gang where, not a gang, but a group of friends, and I would talk, talk to everyone really. But when we when we transitioned into that first year from from year seven into year eight, it was kind of that finding your feet, see where you fit kind of thing. Um, and then I was always always trying to be popular and look for approval and keep people happy. And then it was always, you know, going back to the home life. My father had been badly injured. They were in the middle of renovating the house. Um, The house still isn't finished, however many years later. Um, And I ended up through some bizarre situation, ended up working in the entertainment industry as a DJ, I think I started at 15, worked at under 18s nights and then went through into working in normal nightclubs. 
Um, and during this transition, I was I was taken under the wing of someone who took advantage of his situation um, and, and left us in a very bad predicament. Um, go on over the years. I've had girlfriends, I've had partners, I've married, I've had children. And there was always that underlying thing of, of, of I wasn't good enough. My life needed more. I needed more things in in me life to make it better. Um, I needed more children or I needed the attention of more women or I needed more money or I needed... I fell into that whole consumerism, commercialism, capitalism nonsense that we've just spoke about that dictates a person's personality and that kind of moulds them into the person that shouldn't be as opposed to the person we need them to be. Um, which we've just discussed. And I kind of came out of it just not right. I knew I wasn't right. I'd, I'd seen my father nearly be killed and I'd seen the extent of his scars. You know, I'd suffered mild abuse um, in my early teens. Um, I'd womanised, I'd drank. And even then, you know, 16 years old, going into a nightclub, having all of this shit on your shoulders, being able to have a drink at 16 was great. And then, you know, you may paint and they'll go, there you are, have a joint and this and that. And then I was sober for years, and I mean years, when I met my wife. Um, long, long time. You're talking, how old was Riley when we separated? Riley had been four or five. So you're talking nearly six, seven years of sobriety when I met my first wife, a long, long time. Um, and then it kind of, when the divorce broke down, uh, when my marriage broke down and we got divorced, I had a, well, I called it my golden ticket job offer. It was, I'd went back to university as a mature student. Um, and again, I was at uni, I was DJing while I was at uni to pay the bills and pay the mortgage and put food on the table. Um, and I got offered a job. It was going to pay six figures a year for working six months of the year, a month on, a month off. And I had a motorbike accident and damaged my hand. Um, and I also ended up with PTSD from this accident. And that kind of spanned on its head again. So my normal coping mechanisms like going out and womanizing or going out and drinking that had been taken away when I was married, those came back to the forefront. And they were like, right, okay, this is how we're going to get through this. We're going to go back to the gym going to start fighting again, we're going to start competing again, we're going to do all of this stuff, but because of the injury to my hand, but also the, the injury to my mental health, I wasn't able to do that, so my healthy coping mechanisms, training, competing, socialising, you know, even to a certain extent, the womanising wasn't killing us, um, those became more difficult to do, and then the easier things were picking up a drink, having a joint to go to sleep, taking tramadol to numb the pain in my hand and the pain inside my heart. Um, and then next thing you know, it's it's coming up two years later from the accident. Um, I've had to take a job with Shell, which wasn't my first choice. It was my backup plan. Um, and this golden ticket that I thought I had when I lost this job offer, it was like, well, is this my life then from now? Just more disappointment. I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm going to be stuck in this routine. 
I've got no future. I might as well fucking do myself in. And then on Christmas Day 2018, after years of alcohol abuse and depression and sleep, uh, drinking myself to sleep and waking up and pretending everything was fine and drinking myself to sleep again, um, I tried to take me on life Christmas Day 2018. It was the first Christmas Day when I'd ever had my children and myself. On Christmas Day, I, uh, they always went with the mother and then came to me. And the excitement went up, 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 up from zero to level 10 in about 30 seconds Christmas Day morning. And it was at that level 10 all day until the children went home. And then the children went home and I just hit rock bottom. I thought, I'm never, ever going to top an emotion like this. I might as well go out on a high. And I tried to take me on life in the garage and someone found us and intervened. And I wouldn't be here to tell this story today. But when you look at everything, all I've done from day one to the point when I take, took my own life, all I tried to do for years was grab as much from the outside world and shove it inside of me to fill those gaps that I had. So again, that could be women, alcohol, drugs, partying, nice cars, money, public persona, perception. All of those things I craved because I felt that's what was going to make us comfortable. But when I when I had, you know, that that moment Christmas Day and the suicide attempt, um it's a massive light bulb moment. Massive. I mean, I've been in therapy for a year anyway, and I'd been telling my therapist I was I was fine, everything's okay. And when I told her, I was still in denial. I says, I never tried to kill myself. She says, We're splitting hairs, you had a rope on your neck round a ladder. Your neighbor was looking through the window, banging on the window as loud as he could because he's seen what you were trying to do. He says, Let's not kid ourselves. You're trying to take your life because you weren't doing that for the crack, were you? And the answer was, I didn't know what I was doing. It was I was on autopilot. And then after feeling all of that pain and all of that suffering and realizing where I'd gone wrong for nigh on 20 years of my life, it, it was like a light bulb moment. I had clarity from the sobriety. I had support because of my faith. Um. And then I realized the missing loop, the missing part of the loop was the significant push now on raising awareness for mental health, the significant push on getting people to accept they have a mental health related issue. <coughs> but there's no treatment. It's a, a two year waiting list for the NHS. If you ring the crisis team, you, you're best off only have a crisis if you want to commit suicide or, sorry, you're best off only have a crisis if you want to take your own life between the hours of nine and five because they're so understaffed. And there's so many people out there who could be saved with some compassion, non-judgmental support. And that's why I founded Changing the Game UK is to change the game of life one good deed at a time. And this takes us full circle back to the beginning. You don't need to change the world for everybody. But if you change the world for one person, even one person at a time, you'll soon get to a point where you're living in a different a different place because people have been pre-programmed to always have the nose put out the joint. Well, would they do that for me? Nah, fuck them. I'm not doing it for them. All right, okay. But it comes back to what you said earlier, Rory. You have to be kind and you have to care about each other and you have to be selfless and not be self-centered. It's not about what you can get from someone else. You can take anything you want, 
in all fairness, you can, you can go and kick the door in and you can take whatever you want. Yes, it's not right. Yes, it's against the law, but you could take whatever you wanted. Do you know where the power is? By giving what you can. You, do, you know, a new phone is only a new phone from the, for the first 30 seconds you take it out of the box. And then another one comes along and then another one comes along. But if you have a gift by, let's say, making someone feel at ease, or you have the capability to give someone free mental health treatment, or you have the experience to share your learnings and open them up to a wider audience so they can relate and try and not make the same mistakes we made, that's where the magic is. It's not what you can get from other people. It's what you can give to other people. And, you know, people won't, or people will be adverse to helping others because other people are adverse to helping them. So spin it on its head then, go and help someone else, and then they'll be willing to help someone else. And that's how you change the world, by doing it one thing at a time. And if we can get to a position where people accept the vulnerabilities, they know what makes them vulnerable, and then they can get the right support to build on those vulnerabilities, you know, in a decade, we'll have a new generation of comfortable, confident, happy, and loved people across the entire society. That's so well said. Um, and to be fair, wow, like, where does it even land in the sense of the story uh, that I would connect to first? With your dad, wow, that's, that must have been so hard. Um, I can only imagine, um, like that with nearly a visual on it would have been like the domino effect, you know, naturally, as you said, through your whole life, there's always been, I love when you said, uh, you actually used a phrase that I've really related to recently, um, the, the undercurrent in the sense of just, there's always something that you never fully know what's going on. And I've always struggled, as you said, mental health would be in mine in the sense of just my own emotional coping skills were never there um, and I could never rely on it. I just, I didn't even know what they were to be honest yeah. and whatever I was involved in and escaping in whatever manner trying to identify to, it never gave you full satisfaction because like I, I even know my closest friends at home um, they'd always be like Rory like you'd nearly slap into this other you know Rory around different scenarios like wh why is that like wh why do you feel the need to try and put on this other persona like don't get me wrong I love having the crack and I love you know having that skit if you will you know and having fun but there's a point you know and I would always have gone over the line in so many different ways and I love where you're talking about it there where like that in your own journey, it just seemed to be a pattern, you know, through everything that was the constant. And like, I, I can identify with the story on your suicidal situation. I have been there as well in the sense of up the ladder with the rope around your neck. Um, my own self had been there. I don't know how many times I've lost count, to be honest, in the two suicidal years I had in 19 and 20. And then it got worse. Well, my my mind says the attempt was worse than 20 uh we'll say when i actually jumped out in front of a train a couple of times and eventually was lucky enough that i survived um but again as you said the, the phrase autopilot 
uh, mm-hmm. comes to mind because you're you're not even it's oblivious like it's like you were talking about with your and this is the wrong way to say it but it comes up in the sense of it's the rush that you maybe got off your children on that scale of 10 on Christmas morning even when you become um, ill is probably a right phrase for it because yeah. rather than mental health is a very broadly branded well, thing these days that we're unwell that's, that's the thing when it comes to your mental health it's no different to having the cold or the flu or a broken arm if you've got a broken arm or a fracture in your bone you can see oh, my arm's broken and people can clearly see that but with your mental health and in your emotions you can't see that and what people can't see they don't understand so you've got to be even more but even more- think of it like this i saw something recently which was brilliant and i have a couple of little things i'll share here because uh, i even on the podcast this morning that i was listening to always find they were ringing in through what what's really good about podcasting and it got me thinking in the sense of like you know having a chat but also providing golden nuggets i do this by trade anyway mm-hmm. uh, i find that as you said part of sharing oh my god it's so relevant like and i find it great it's probably another form of escape but it, like it when you take the focus off yourself you're actually connect you're actually connecting to others and there's the value mm-hmm. and uh as i said sorry with the essence of coming up on the train this morning it's like really where i've got my essence of we'll say enjoyment or satisfaction recently and especially over the weekend when i was at work um just working uh, helping clients um i am finding now that i'm actually gaining my satisfaction on a client's satisfaction and Uh lifting their spirit like that 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 has become a focus and over the weekend, I had three clients that turned around and said, Rory, you made my day. And I'm like, how amazing does that feel? But that's even, as you said, like that, that's the hit. But what I was trying to go back to maybe with the other thing is it in an addiction, you have to be so careful that I don't get too caught up in that, you know, because then I'd be getting you know, hit and hit and hit. And then I then I just turn it into a sales number. I'd be like, yes, how, exactly. how, how many clients do I need to hit to get that high? You know that it wouldn't even be a monetary value like it, that's that's the feeling you know like as you said gambling or drinking you're investing to get the feeling you know that that that's the cycle as you said of the rat race in the sense of mm-hmm. like we're just brought up in a sense of nearly like someone said it in another really really potent way recently where you're literally on the walk way to the graveyard of course you are and do you know what as soon as you fall off that walkway or your shoes become empty, your employer or whoever else isn't the one two, three, four, five years later telling your wife it's still going to be okay, you know, stood by your children as they walk down the aisle. They filled your shoes with someone else and in the grand scheme of things couldn't give a fuck. And I'm sorry, I'm swearing it. They've filled your shoes with someone else, and in the grand scheme of things, they're not really bothered. And that's I'm out of work at the moment. Um, so obviously, I, I was a I was a DJ in my late teens, early twenties. I went back to university in my mid twenties. Uh, I graduated in twenty fifteen. Obviously, I had a the job offer that I'd lost. I went and worked for Shell realized i was unwell i couldn't do me offshore refresher because of the damage to me hand and the pain in my hand um plus my mental state i was having panic attacks when i come to do the helicopter refresher um 
and then you come back and then you work in the routine where you work again and you give everything because you want to be seen to doing a good job. You want to be seen as someone who's proactive and aggressive at getting things done and has the best for the business. And then you come up against people who just want to be there for an easy life or people who are in institutionalized in the way they do things or they do things historically or they work with, you know, a backdated culture. And all those little niggles just chip away at you, chip away at you, chip away at you. And that is through no one's fault other than society. It's not that person's fault because that's how they've been conditioned. That's their coping strategy. That's how they go through life day to day. But it comes back to having that conversation because, like you've said there, if you look outside yourself, life becomes easy because it's just about doing what you can for other people. But when you turn the focus inside and then you're working with other people who haven't got that outlook and got that inside look, it's a clash. It becomes a vacuum. And instead of putting things out there to learn and share and feed off, it sucks the life and the love and the motivation out of it because everyone's taken from themselves. Mm. And that's what really made me poorly in the end was mm. being in that culture of society because I was openly saying to people, I'm not well. At first, um, look, I'm not well. I've got depression. I've got this. I've got that. Yeah, that's fine. But then I went one step further and I thought, you know what? I'm going to use my story to the best of my ability here. And it was World Mental Health Day and I'd sat with Occupational Health and we'd done a video about my story, my suicide attempt, um, my recovery, the charitable work that I do, the free mental health treatment we give people. You know, even uh, I've got a, a little clothing brand called Recovery Pirates where 50% of the profits go back to charities who help people who are in recovery. Um, all of this good stuff I was sharing and trying to, to make a difference and then literally three weeks later, someone, no uncertain terms, stitched us up and stuck a knife in me back after sitting in my office asking for help. Can you help me with this on a personal level? I want to do this. I want to do this. I know you've got experience. Can you help us? Yeah, of course I will. No problem at all, mate. There's my number. You ring us if you need any help. Two to three weeks later, uh, you don't know what you're doing, you're out of body, you're a loose cannon, you're this, you're that. I says, whoa, hang on. I says, if you're going to stick knives in me back, stick knives in me back all the time, then I know where I'm coming from. If you want to be my mate, well, act like a mate, but you bang out of order. And this went on, and this went on, and this went on. In the end, I says, look, stick your fucking job up your ass. I says, I cannot work. I cannot work like this. I'm not well. All I want is to do my job to the best of my ability work with people who have got the same best interest at heart as me being the business goals. Um, and that's, that's all I want. And then I had a, what in the olden days would be called a nervous breakdown. Um, and I never went back to work and I've, I've been out of work since March. You apply for jobs. Um, <coughs> you get auto responses, you apply for jobs. You don't even want, you get rejected for a job. You don't even want, and, and it's thankful that I started the charitable work and I wanted to give back because if I didn't have that and I didn't have me painting and things like this to, to talk to people and express how I feel, I would be 
significantly worse, especially if I was in the old ment mentality that I had of that coping mechanism, because it wouldn't have been stick your job up your arse. It would be, I'm still a little bit hungover and I'm going to knock your teeth out. Whereas now I can actually see it had nothing to do with me. It was all about that person, why they reacted the way they did. And I've made the decision to say, do you know what? I can't work in this environment anymore. I'm done. Um, told a lot of home truths, and I always, I always make sure I tell the truth, whether it's right or wrong, whether I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to drop someone else in it. You have to tell the truth. If you can protect people, of course, protect people. But if, if you can't live an honest life, you've got fucking no chance. You've got to be honest with yourself. And that comes back to the vulnerability again. Mm. It comes back to the addiction again. It comes back to your behavior again. You know, I've when I first got diagnosed with a PTSD, upset a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people. And having the humility and the appreciation of what I've actually done and, and apologize to these people, you know, it's... If you make your peace with someone, that's it. You, you can't go around worrying about that anymore. You've just got to try and work together to help people to stop people getting worse. And if we can stop people getting worse and poorly, 10,000 10, people lost their lives to this point this year from suicide. So imagine if we could move those numbers on and be progressive and reduce those. You know, it's... People say you're a daydreamer, you'll never do it, but you've got to want to try. And like I say, that's I've totally gone off on a tangent here, but that's how I ended up being here talking to you because I'd seen someone who was on a similar journey to me. I needed someone to reach out to me in my early sobriety just to keep us focused. So, yeah, I'm going to reach out to Rory. Reached out, we connected. Rory, what you're working on? Oh, mate, that's awesome. Les, what you're working on? Oh, I think that's really good. Why don't we get together and help people and, and kind of kind of show where where the cross paths are and the commonalities are? Rory, that's a brilliant idea. You know, if we were blinking and blinding in the rat race for work, you'd be going, sorry, mate, I haven't got time. I've got to finish this report. <clears throat> you finish one report, there's always another report to write. So stopping, taking the time for yourself to see how you can help and support others. For me, that's how, that's how you you build a sustainable future. Like you've got to love each other and and take care of people. That is so good. And like, there's one thing that uh, came up earlier this week. Uh, I was speaking to a lady. I'll come, I come. I want to respond to your point as well, but I just want to say this first before I forget. In the sense that uh, this was just a client at work, and uh, say, um, sorry, I definitely identified to not working at the moment. I'd been out of work prior to this last five months for nearly a year and a half and uh, I just as you say again everything you're in the rat race and I was lucky during COVID I'd say to be fair I didn't have to focus on work I just I was able to take a break I, just, I didn't even want to go near life or anything I just got through the pandemic just it was a focus of getting up every day for example or whatever it was in the essence of what she said to me after an hour on the phone we had a lot of connections nearly around numerology which is another conversation for another day. Anyway, I was loving it, spirituality. It was all great energy. The point of the conversation that she left me on with at the end, and she was actually saying she was going to light a candle at the end of this for 15 minutes. She was like, Rory, go meditate to this. And her phrase was, if only our eyes see souls, 
instead of how bodies how different beauty would look and i'm like in the sense that like it's so powerful i've kept i've kept that for the last 72 hours in my head and i'm just like if that's the focus as you said like if we were walking around today for example here in dublin um or wherever people are in the world listen to this if you look at someone and you don't judge them you explore their vulnerability and if you, as you said earlier, lead with compa- compassion and empathy, and this is in any capacity, and if you actually, if you do want to draw a conclusion, that's up to yourself, but draw the conclusion on their spirit mm-hmm. as a person, mm-hmm. and then you'll know the true self. Mm-hmm. Then, you know the thing as well, people can change and people are allowed to change and should be encouraged if they want to leave the past behind. You, you look at my early interviews that I was doing around mental health. I spoke with a gentleman called Brian Cockwell. Now, Brian was notorious in the Northeast uh, as a gangland enforcer. Um, oh, what's happened there? Hold on. There we go. Brian was notorious around the Northeast as a gangland enforcer. Um, he was a taxman, uh, and he was violent, and multiple people tried to kill him multiple times. Um, he lost his brother to suicide. He suffered severely with a crack addiction. <clears throat> now the guy, on a daily basis, speaks to people, send messages of positivity, he trains every day, and all he wants is to stop people learning and making the same mistakes he done. So that comes back with full circle again. You can have a really bad, aggressive, nasty, violent person, but there's nothing stopping that person having a soul on the road to Damascus moment and changing. If if someone is displaying signs of change, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because again, if you don't and someone tries to make a difference and you hinder them, it's not just them you're stopping and saying, how look at them. You're fueling your own bias and negative bias. You know, it's it's crazy when you look at the whole thing in, in, in the bigger picture. We're all part of something so much bigger. And change is a constant of life. People will always change. Situations will always change. Um expectations will always change but as long as we can be true to ourselves and true to each other those changes don't matter because you're still working from the same solid foundation and uh as they say in Taoism, if i pronounce that correctly uh in eastern cultures um like the essence of nature as you said in itself to keep it nicely flowing towards Mm -hmm. the conclusion of even our own calendar year and this podcast it's like if you even look at the year to date like we're in that autumnal setting of the glory of sorry the beauty even more so of all the colors that you would see in foliage or whatever and like even if you listen to like that in its essence i can even feel the energy coming in that but like the one thing i love about autumn that i heard recently was the season for letting go. Yes. That's a, uh, you, well, it's, it's true, isn't it? You can, it's, it's a visual thing. Uh, 
It's an emotional thing. You're coming up at the end. I think that's a great saying. I like that. And like in the essence of like where we are currently even in the spirit of like Halloween, it was funny that even last night uh, I just wouldn't be normally very big on, say, uh, hugely decorating around Halloween. I'm a massive fan of it. Love it. And uh, it was funny that uh, I had a text this morning from someone that I just sent the photo to of uh, just I put a smiley face on the pumpkin. Like just mm-hmm. I didn't even think of it when I was doing it. And then he texts back and he's like, Rory, that's the first happy pumpkin I've seen. <laughs> and if you think about that for a second, in the sense of how general society goes around, and especially leading into the harder months. Mm-hmm. As you said, if you can turn someone's day around or if you can help someone smile in any capacity, you've no idea how much that could lift their mood. And the one thing I love, like nearly embracing at the moment is the word mood, because I find if I if I if I can manage that, everything else comes after that. That can be branded as recovery or sobriety or whatever. But if I can keep an eye on my mood and I can keep myself in good form, everything else comes secondary and, I, and that has to be the way I operate because if I want to be a happy-go-lucky man that I attain to be nearly at times when I feel good I know I can laugh and joke about other things but like you can't do that if you don't feel good either so no, that's the other thing false. correct and, so, and you've got uh, you've uh, repeating myself again you've hit the nail on the head wall you've got to be honest with yourself because if you build from honesty you're working from a solid foundation whether that honesty is dark nasty hurtful and scary as long as you address that and you work from an honest point you can always improve you can always repay um past mistakes and you can always give back and you can always change there's there's no one on this planet, I do not believe, if they wanted to, with compassion and love in the heart, who could not change. There's there's no one. You've just got to want it, and you've got to want to make a difference. Um, and, like, it, it's one of those things, uh, and I'll leave you with your final thoughts after this. I just saw, um, maybe using the smiley face of the... Uh, pumpkin, and I'll give you a visual here for those of you. It's on audio, but... Uh, that's the uh, visual uh, in the sense of just a, ca- a candle lit inside it. And I was actually looking at the highlighter that I was actually taking the photo beside. It actually had the word job on it in a sense of a <laughs> phrase. But um, the other one that I saw this morning, actually, uh, which is uh, just um, a very, what do you call it, mainstream uh, retailer here in Ireland, yeah. uh, Brown Thomas. Um they normally like one of the main stays in Dublin is the Christmas decorations on the main Beautiful. street and it's like anything but when I see it and I saw the words this morning like coming into the essence of a story like this like those who shine in that word as you said like if that's something that I could take into the Christmas run in mm-hmm. in my first Christmas sober I'll be like going into it in the essence of having the spirit and having the light of life alive in me knowing that i am one of those like mm-hmm. th- that's me yeah you know, but that's that that that's that's not a rory anymore that's hiding that's a vulnerable rory that's like that's who i am 
I want to make people smile. I want to make people laugh. And it's uh-huh. like here today, like you, you really said it this morning in one way when you came on just before we started recording. Whether you're tired, whether you don't feel good, or whether you don't want to do it. If there's someone in any essence there that there's that little ripple, like even getting out uh-huh. of bed myself this morning, you put in a little bit of music. And even the day that I had ahead, I was like, no interest uh-huh. in some ways. It's weird. But I think the beauty comes in the secrets. And I think the little, the little moments are where I take my massive enjoyment because you got to celebrate the little wins because they don't 100%. come around often enough. Mate, you're a man after my own heart because we came into this, it was all unscripted. There was no plan to talk about anything. We just said we would have a conversation and see what come out of it. And if you look what has came out of it, it's the same core message. Um, we two completely different people come from different parts of the world, but the commonalities we share by accepting our vulnerabilities, by accepting that we need to change and that the world can be a better place, it shows you that two people can come together. And if two people can come together, four can, and if four can, eight can, and everyone can be that person who wears the heart on the sleeve, who tells it like it is, and puts the arm around someone when they need it. Um, because that's what I was lacking, and that's why I wasn't, I was very nearly not here. Um, and I think it's, it's that human nature and that compassion and that love that the world needs right now, not hatred. It, it, it needs support. It needs to mend the broken factions and, you know, just be nice to each other, be kind, be accept your vulnerabilities, accept other people's vulnerabilities. And like you've said, celebrate them because those are the things that make people different. And if everyone was the same, it'd be a really shit place to be. And I think one of those things that came up earlier is, say, even when I look at where we are here and maybe I plug in for such a great uh, experience on my first time in studio with collaborative studios here with Shane, like even the word collaborate, like the one thing that comes to me in my mind when I was um, starting this journey way back with Shane uh, was like, I felt like an outlier. Like I felt like someone in society that just didn't belong, but n- now it's gone the opposite way. Now, now I've now I now I'm proud of that. I, mm-hmm. I want to be different. I yeah. want to create that essence of, be it content or whatever it might be. But, um, who knows? Like I wouldn't have thought myself two years ago that I would be here, halfway through, uh, what is the best part of the year, really like enjoying this. Uh, mm-hmm. it's it, and now it's become part of my life, as you said. It's something now like a younger child that I've used with the inner child that it's, it's now part of my life and I will look after it and I make sure mm-hmm. I will make sure that this journey stays going because it's so important, as you said, to touch one person's heart, like even one little bit of a story for you. When I was actually starting this connection, even where I am right now here today, I was on the ward in a psychiatric inpatient facility here in Ireland mm-hmm. and look where I am in studio helping people. Like, it's a small world, isn't it's it? It's a small world, but dreams do come true. Like that's what I'm trying to tell people. Like if you stick to your guns and you believe in yourself, you will get there. Yeah, but you know the other thing I would add for that is don't be afraid to ask for help. Oh because... well, hundred percent. Because I'm not here in the sense of 
<laughs> I couldn't do it myself, you know, in the sense exactly. of ha- having the support of, you know, incredible people around you. It's what makes life all the better and even better than that. Um, as you said, sharing it, uh, it mm-hmm. makes life so much better. It comes, it's that word collaborative, isn't it? It's we can be experts at what we do. If if there's something mechanical, maintenance, inspection, I can tell you how to fix it, how to look after it, when to service it, and what you need to do to keep your business making money. I can also paint you a pretty picture on the wall. Can I budget and plan your accounts? Yeah, to a certain level, but I ain't an accountant. Can I teach children dark, uh, deep philosophy and geographical, political landscapes from the last 50 years? No, because they ain't my area of expertise. If you want to go outside your comfort zone, don't be afraid to speak to the experts and learn. And that comes back again to helping people and broadening the understanding. And like you've just said there, you, when you started this in that psychiatric ward, you didn't know how to where you were going with podcasts. You didn't know the content. I'm going to assume you weren't even sure how to start it. But by having your dream, having your goal, and having the contacts and the balls to ask for support, look at what you're doing. I've followed you now for months. I mean, we've been speaking about this for months. The content you're bringing out and the people's stories you're bringing to the forefront. Use your candle analogy. The world is a very dark place. Every podcast you record is one little candle. And it's that little beacon, that little bit of hope that can shine in the darkness. People could be in the darkness for years, but they come past your little candle on your little journey, and it's that little bit of brightness they need just at the right time. But equally so, and this is probably one thing, I'll leave it on a final question for you. Uh, where can people uh, see your um, charitable work, as you said, with the recovery Um mm-hmm. Do you want to give us maybe just like where can people yeah. find that? Is it online or what's that, what's the story there? That's brilliant, Rory. Thank I forgot all about that. So changing the game uk.org. Um you can put the www in front of it if you want, or you can just go changing the game uk.org. That'll take you to our website. Um on the website, if you need um support and you want to self-refer, you can self-refer and one of our clinical team will get back in touch with you. If there's any medical professionals who feel that someone would uh, benefit from mental health support, CBT, DBT, um, you know, therapy, um, also counselling and support, if they don't want to go too in-depth, you can self-refer or third-party refer on there. if you want to donate as well, if you've had anyone, you know, who you've lost to suicide or someone who you you feel could or should have been saved, if you want to donate, 100% of all donations go to um, the suicide prevention campaign. We don't take any money out of it for running it. Um, it's all, uh, as I say, 100% of donations go into the treatment and the suicide prevention campaign. We're also working with um, the local graffiti artists in Newcastle. We're working on a um, a mural, um, a, a memorial wall. So we're going to get the the guys to paint changing the game UK on the wall, and anyone who they've lost uh, to suicide 
friends, family, uh, distant relations that can come and they can either have the name included or they can put the name on the wall themselves. So that's a nice little thing we're doing. You can follow that on Instagram. That's instagram.com forward slash CTGUK. <coughs> Pardon me. And finally, the Recovery Pirates. Um, something that was born out of the back of a run practical joke. Um, it bears the logo of a skull and cross syringes. Um like I say, 50% of all, all profits go back to organisations who support recovery. That is Changing the Game UK, uh, North East Homeless 2014, and the Road to Recovery Trust in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Um, all organisations where people have been in recovery, they're in long-term recovery, and then they're looking to get them back into employment. And if I can grow recovery pirates to a certain level... That's very much what I'd like to do is to try and give it back and just hand it over and say, there you go, keep yourselves busy. There's a way to pay your bills. But again, just little things to keep us taking over. The main one, the suicide prevention campaign is changingthegameuk.org, where you can self-refer and donate and uh, the artwork and, and clothing line is all on Instagram. That's unbelievable. And I, uh, there's one photo that I wanted to ask you about just... Uh before I leave you back to your morning, uh, was it with the Pirates? Is that connected to the football? Am I right in saying that? No. no. I, saw, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you in the picture with... Uh... Oh, yes. So that is... And this, sh- this shows you the power of using your own vulnerabilities as lessons for people. Um, I worked with a gentleman before I was made redundant in the pandemic. Um, and he went off and started his own business. Very, very good, outstanding, very, very competent, unique part of the market as well. Um, but Brian raised a lot of money for us. He'd done a lot of fundraising um, and he paid for a lot of treatment through his fundraising for people. Now, his little one, teeny tiny, the I think six and seven-year-old, they were looking for a shirt sponsor because obviously for the grassroots footballs, the kiddies, um, you got to pay for the strips and get a sponsor to pay for them. So my friend who had his own business, who had already fundraised for us, he paid for the strips. But as a way of raising awareness, he asked to put our logo on there. So that's when, when the kiddies are playing football and everyone sees the logo, it's that little bit of exposure. You know, that's why there's such a big push in in the Premier League now and with Calm and uh, Mind and Newcastle United Foundation be a game changer is because it's that that male world and we just felt it would be a nice nice little thank you because the, the kids are kind of the future and they're where we want, want things to be. And that's... Uh, that's why I had that photo with the little ones with the football strips on because, uh, yeah, Brian paid for it. There's another guy as well at, at, at KYPC. They've got them on the back of the shirts. And it's all just, like I say, I'm never going to be able to ram it down people's throats and take them by the hand because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. All you can do is put that bucket of water out there and... By having the 
the logo out there on the football strips by doing our murals, by doing these podcasts. It's just, I want as many people to know that if they are struggling, they can reach out to us. It's not going to cost you anything. There's no judgment. There's nothing. Everything's completely confidential. Um, just, it's coming. We've said this as well. We're coming up to Christmas and in autumn, and unfortunately, the suicide rates do increase because people struggle and the people do suffer. And whether it's Christmas Day, whether it's New Year's Day, or whether it's tomorrow at five a.m., if someone needs help and they are in a place where they've got no one to talk, they'll reach out to me reach out to my clinical team and I promise we'll do everything I can to help because to see the news that someone didn't wake up today, it's heartbreaking because it's people killing themselves all over the world in wars and terrorist attacks and we lose too many people with people killing each other. It's, mm. We don't need people killing themselves. Wow, that's... That's some way to leave it. Uh, I think uh, on the essence of uh, we nearly in all of our ways today or tomorrow or in the past are nearly on habitual journeys to kill ourselves in another way. And it's the only place we're guaranteed to end up, mate. No matter what house you stop off in on the way, what bathroom you visit, we're all going to the same six-foot plot. Life for living. Absolutely. I, I know we've said we're going to leave these last few times, but I was sat the other night with music on in the background, and I says to my two kids, jokingly, I went, when I die, I want this song at my funeral. And the, my my boys are still young, they're 10 and 12, but we got talking about funerals and what does it mean to have a funeral? And yes, it's sad because that person isn't there anymore. But I want my funeral to be a celebration of my life, of all the things I've done, as what I've achieved, of the journey I've been on. Because if it's just cradle to grave, then you might as well stay in the rat race. You might as well grind yourself mm. to a pulp. Pointless even having children. Mm. If it is cradle to grave, but it's not life's about living, it's what you do in that window from the cradle to grave, what lessons you can pass on what learnings we can take from our past for our children's future. And as I say, come back and change the world. It's ironic when you say that because uh, Shane, the producer, is over there cradling himself, rocking away in the chair. And before he rocks me out of here and I get evicted, uh, we better call a halt to this one. But uh, Leslie, uh, you, I'm only messing. I hope he wouldn't anyway. No, uh, not at all. I'm only I know we're on a schedule. It was me waiting to be late with the Zoom coming in. It was that popped into no, my head. No, look, it's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm so grateful. And uh, look, I'm sure we'll catch up again. And, You've got uh, the number. Drop us a text anytime. I'll leave the the creative editing up to yourself in the studios, just for for structure and splicing and and, and the flow of it. Because I know I was all over the place. Um. But thank you, thank you very much. I hope it adds some value to the, to the work brilliant. you do, mate. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. Likewise, and it's been an absolute honour, to be fair. It's uh, so nice to share these stories. And to be honest, it's a highlight of the week. So thank you so much. Uh, result. Thank you. Welcome to My World, Riff Raff and Rory podcast. Episodes will be available every Monday. And you can listen to the podcast on all podcast streaming platforms. Follow me on... Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter.
All of my handles are in the show notes. Thanks very much. Tune in next week. Thank you.